Well, Jesus, we just thank you for your presence, God. We thank you, Father, for your love. We thank you that you desire to be in relationship with us. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would have your way this morning, um, that you would speak to us, that our hearts would be open to you, and that you would challenge us and change us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, we've just about bought the chairs, and, uh, and that's really the easy part. Now, the next part of this mission, the major part of this mission is filling those chairs. And so I want to ask you this morning, would you just kind of close your eyes? Just bear with me. Close your eyes. Many of you who have bought these chairs have bought these chairs with people on your mind. I've had several people say, hey, I know who the people are. But I want you to close your eyes right now. Maybe you haven't done that yet, and that's fine. But close your eyes, and I want you to imagine those people. Get a picture of them, whoever they are. Maybe it's, maybe it's not an individual, someone you know, but imagine that person who's going to fill and occupy that chair that you have purchased, that you are trusting God to help you fill. Everybody got that person in their mind. You can see what they look like. All right, now I want to ask you a question. You can open your eyes. Do they look like you? What do they look like? What have you envisioned in your mind is that person that's going to occupy that chair? Is this person reputable? Are they business people? Are they wealthy people? Are they clean? Do they look good? The kind of person you want to have in the church? Please don't answer me. Are they disreputable people? Is it, are you picturing someone that you don't want in the church in that seat? I just want you to think about that for a second. Who is that person that you picture filling that seat? And who are these people that we picture filling this church? Who are these people that we envision that God is going to bring to this place? You know, the Pharisees had a certain idea of the kind of people that should be around Jesus and around them. And in fact, in Luke chapter 15, we see that the Pharisees are criticizing Jesus for the kinds of people that he is around. I'll just read, you don't have to turn there real quick, it's just a a sentence, but it says, now that the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him, him being Jesus, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered to themselves, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And so they're looking at Jesus saying, man, this guy's hanging around with the disreputable people. This guy's hanging around with sinners and tax collectors. These are not the kind of people that God wants. These are not the kind of people that God loves. And so in response to their criticisms and thoughts against him, Jesus responds by telling three different stories. The first story that he that he responds with, and these stories are great because for a moment, God gives us this opportunity to look through the lenses of his eyes and to see things the way he sees things. 
And so this is what these stories do for us. And so the first story that Jesus would tell is the parable of the lost sheep. If you remember, not too long ago, I, I, I preached on this, uh, on this parable. And one of the interesting things about this story is that this sheep that went astray, went astray because of foolishness. It wasn't that the sheep really necessarily went astray because it intentionally decided to go away. It was that sheep are just kind of dumb, right? And, 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 and so this sheep was probably just grazing and just going from one green you know, blade of grass to the next one and just going where grass is green. And before long, or following another sheep, it found itself somewhere it didn't need to be. And in this, in this parable of the lost sheep, we see how intentional the shepherd is, who is Jesus, who is going after the sheep because the sheep finds himself now in a dangerous place, a place where really he can't go. It's stuck on, this, on a ledge to go any further, would be falling down and dying and couldn't get back up to where it needed to be. And so it was a very dangerous thing for the sheep. And so this shepherd was committed to go after the sheep. And so in the parable of the lost sheep, we see how, how, how determined that this shepherd is, that he would not come back without either the sheep alive or, or, or the bones of the sheep. In fact, just on a side note, it's kind of cool. Um, everybody sees this picture of Jesus carrying that sheep and everybody goes, oh, what a beautiful picture. And I know I, I preached on this a little while ago, but I just feel like I need to say this. But what we fail to understand is it's not as pretty as you may think because what happened was the shepherd would break the leg of the sheep for wandering off and then would carry that sheep on his shoulders. And during that process, while he's carrying that sheep, he's carrying it so that leg would heal. But also during that process, he's talking to that sheep and he's actually bonding with that sheep. He's building relationship with that sheep. And during that process, that sheep gets to know that shepherd's voice. And then when that sheep is all healed up, he puts that sheep down. And now that sheep is in relationship with that shepherd and won't leave his side. Sometimes God has to break our legs, right? Right? Sometimes God has to break our legs a little bit to get our attention. And it's during that process because, look, it's a painful process. But in that challenge and in that discipline and in that, in that trial, as we would call it, what happens to us? Man, we climb into our Bibles a whole lot more. and We get deeper in prayer a whole lot more. And during that process of the trial, the difficult circumstances, I would be willing to bet that each one of us would say that the trials that we've been through have actually helped our relationship with God, not hurt them. And this is what happens here. And so here's the first parable that Jesus tells. The second parable that he tells is this parable of this lost coin. With this lady, she has 10 coins and she, and she loses one. And, and this, this coin is lost out of no fault of its own. It's not the coin's fault that it was lost. And yet in this parable, it's just lost. And, and some people may be lost and, and maybe there's abuse in their lives. And maybe they never grew up in a Christian home or whatever the case may be. But it's not really of their own fault that they're lost. They're just lost. And in this story, too, we get this picture of Jesus who is determined and also goes after and seeks after that lost coin. And, and, and in the picture and the image here is, too, Jesus going after that lost person, that one struggling. So all of these stories are being told, right, for the hearers, right? For the Pharisees are listening, the Jews are listening, other people are listening, and they're getting a glimpse of how God feels about those who are lost. And then... Finally, the last story that he tells is a little bit different. This story is about the lost son. And, and this is not like the parable of the lost sheep. It's not like the parable of the lost uh, coin. This one is different because in this story, the son 
chooses deliberately to walk away from his father. This isn't the coin where, hey, it's no fault of his own. This isn't the sheep where, hey, grass is greener, and before I knew it, this is where I ended up. And, and it's all sin. Don't get me wrong. But in this, this son is there. He's with his father. He recognizes what he has. But despite the recognition of what he has, he thinks his own way is better. And he intentionally chooses to walk away. Open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 24. Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 24. One of the differences in this parable as we get into this is that you will note that in every other story, the owner goes after that which was lost, right? The owner of the sheep, the shepherd, seeks after the sheep. The owner of the coin seeks after the coin. But the father in this parable doesn't seek after the one who went away. The father waits patiently, longing for that son to return, but doesn't go after him like we see in the other two stories. And all of these stories are being told so that the Pharisees can hear this. So, let, so read this together and then we'll just divide it up a little bit. Verse 11, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, and he set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so he got up, and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son. He threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. The story goes on because we know if you read the story on, we know about this brother, and this brother is not quite as pleased to see um, the lost or the prodigal son return. So in this parable, you've got some elements. You've got the father who represents God. You've got the the, the younger son who is this rebellious son who walks away from, from God. And then you've got the older son who's basically playing it by the law. He's playing it by the books. He's doing what he needs to do. And he actually represents the Pharisees in this story. And so as we look at the story, the truth of the matter is this story isn't so much about the lost son as it is about the love of a father. 
And as God is beginning, as Jesus begins to explain this parable, he goes to great lengths to describe basically the kind of rebelliousness that lived in the sun. And he goes to great, basically, lengths to paint this picture of the sun. And so for us to understand the picture that's being painted, if we are going to understand this parable the way the hearers of this parable understood it, then we need to divide into this and break it up a little bit and understand the context and understand um, what he's saying and how it was taken and received um, back then. So understand this, that under Jewish law, a father was not free to leave his property as he liked. He couldn't just decide, hey, this is what I want to do. I want to give this much to you and this much to you. No, the way it was was that the oldest son got two-thirds, like a double portion. The younger son would get a third of that. And that's found in Deuteronomy chapter 21. Um, and so, so this is the way it is. And he's the youngest son, so he's due to get basically a third of, of his father's property. It wasn't necessarily uncommon for a father who maybe was kind of, you know, stepping away from his affairs to kind of divide things up a little bit early. Um, From what scholars say, most of the time it would be more of a gift um, than the full amount. But what's interesting is that typically when a father would do this, he would initiate it. It would be the father initiating it. The difference in this parable is, is that this isn't what the father is initiating. The son is initiating this. And that's when the disrespect and the rebellion really begins to show up. This is the kind of attitude. And you've got to put yourself in this father's shoes to understand this. All right? This is complete disrespect. Basically saying, hey, listen, you're going to die. And and I know that I'm going to get this amount of money. and, 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 And so I just want this early so I can be done with you and done with your affairs and done with this property. And I just want to go on and live my life. It was basically a slap in the father's face to say, you know what? I don't even want what you have. I just want the money. Because even if I had this, like, I'm, I'm not living this lifestyle. I don't like your rules. I don't like the way you run things. I don't like what you're doing. I'm better off on my own. So can you just give me what's due me so we can, I can go in my way? All right? Imagine your kids coming up to you and saying, hey, listen, I know you get some money. I know that, you know, this house is eventually going to go to me, and I know it's yours. How about you just sell it now, go move into an apartment, and give me my share now? Would that be received well? No. Probably not. But this is kind of in a small token of what's happening here. And so it's disrespectful. Um, and and it's, it's just kind of a slap in, in the father's face. Again, give me now the part of the estate that I will get anyway when you were dead. And let me get out of this whole situation. One of the scholars that I was reading says this, for the son to get a third of, this, of his father's property probably meant that this father had to break up his entire state. It probably meant that this father had to liquidize, his father had to take some assets, turn them into cash, and sell some things, and, and reduce what he currently had to give him his portion of this. And that as a result of this, that whatever was left over would be seriously affected by the division, by the early division. And so this is kind of a big thing that the father has to do. And so you've got to understand that not only is the, is the arrogance of this son, the rebellion of, the, of this son, but this complete lack of concern for his father. This complete lack of concern for his brother. This lack of concern for the entire state. All he can think about is himself and what he wants and what's best for him. So this is the picture that Jesus is painting of this young man. 
He's a man that doesn't want to be governed. He doesn't want to be under his father. He wants to be his own boss, his own king. He wants to make his own way. And like the video suggested, like that little boy running off, he thought he was better off on his own. It was total rebellion. And he had a total disregard for what he had. He didn't care who he hurt. He wanted what he wanted, and that was it. In this, we actually even see a picture of him not really fully understanding the blessing that he lived in. He wasn't a slave. He was a son. He wasn't a day servant hired out. This guy was a blessed man that, that basically sounds like his father was pretty well off, and, and, and he had a lot, but he didn't recognize what he had. He didn't appreciate his position. He didn't appreciate everything that had been given to him. And so the father doesn't argue. The father just does this. The father recognizes his son has free will and that he's going to have to learn the hard way. And so his father divides up everything and, and, and he gives this to his son and he basically watches his son walk away. Within a few days, the son packs up his things, all his belongings, and he's heading off to a distant land. How many of you guys know that a distant land is a land of sin? A distant land from God is a land of sin. And so this man is, and this is ultimately the picture here. Remember, God is, the Father is God, and this man's walking away from God. All right, here's, the, here's what's being pictured. And so he goes off, and, and I'm sure that he's filled with excitement as, as the promises of, of a life filled with self-indulgement um, are just filling his mind, and he's beginning to believe, and, and he's beginning to picture exactly what his life will look like now that he's out from the rule, the oppressive rule of his father, and now that he's his own man, and now he can do whatever he wants, and he's, and he's got the money to do this, he's got the skill set to do this. And so this promise of prosperity and, and prosperous living and adventure are luring him away, and he goes off to this distant land where he's going to experience the fulfillment of all that he's thought and all that he's been desiring. And he does it, and he goes, he starts living the way he wants to live. He is his own boss. He is his own king. He lives extravagantly. He's following the lusts of his heart and doing whatever it is that he desires. But in this distant land, things didn't go quite as he had planned. And that's the truth for all of us. We walk away from God. You know, sin lures us out. This desire to be self-governing, this desire for our own, to fulfill our own selfish desires, uh, to walk away from God, not to be, hey, I don't want to be under his law Whatever the case may be, I grew up in church, I don't like the way this is, and I'm just going to go. And, and so Satan begins to tempt us and begins to give us all of these empty promises of what life's going to be like, and it lures us out, just like this young man. And, 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 and just like him, it never ends up the way we had planned. We never quite get to that point that we've desired to get to. And so this is what happens for him. He spends everything, all that, all that he owned on what he wanted and before long, he runs out of money. Last week, we talked about building on the rock and building on the sand. And here's another picture of this happening. 
Building on the rock is building on that foundation of who God is. Building on his law, not dividing up his words according to what we want them to be, and not dividing his rock. Because remember, sand is just basically eroded rock. Sand is basically eroded word of God, and there's so much sand out there. And so, so here's a picture of this. This man decides he wants to go out and build on the sand rather than building on the rock. And in that, par- in that story of, of, of the rock and the sand and building your house, the rain comes. And for this young man, this is exactly what happens too. What he has built his life on cannot sustain him. He's built on the wrong foundation. And so into his life, as into all of our lives, the rain will come. But the difference is, is only what is built on Jesus Christ will last, and what is built on the world and desires of the flesh will not. And so this is what happens in this guy's life. He, he goes out there, he follows all of his passions and his dreams and his desires, and all of a sudden he runs out of money. But on top of that, there comes this famine. And it sweeps over the land. He has no money for food. And he finds himself all alone and desperate. Sin leads to destitution, and this is exactly where he is. So in this parable, the wealth, the plans, the excitement, the joy, it's all gone. This young man becomes so desperate that he hires himself out to feed pigs. Now to you and I, when we hear this, we go, okay, maybe you're thinking, okay, you're feeding pigs, yeah, it's like farming or whatever, but, but pigs today basically aren't uh, held in the same thought process the way pigs were back then. And so Jesus is picking this, the most despised job that he can, all right? He's picking the most despised job that he can, and he's saying, okay, this is what this young man ends up doing. So you imagine in your mind what's the worst despised job, because probably for each one of us it's different. Maybe the worst despised job that you can imagine the most disreputable job, the job where you'd go, man, I can't believe, like no one. Because this is how pigs were, were viewed uh, during this time. According to Moses' law, pigs were unclean animals. You'll see that in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Holman's Bible Dictionary says this, one who tended pigs, pigs um, they were barred from the temple. If you tended pigs, you weren't allowed to go to the temple. All right, this job is so bad that if you do this job, you're not allowed to go to church. That's how bad this job is. So, so as, I, as I try to help you picture that detestable job, this job that you've got to picture has to be so bad that this person should not be coming in through these doors. Right? Picture that job if you can. Jews would not even touch pigs. For a Jew to stoop to feeding pigs would have been a great humiliation, totally degrading and humiliating. In fact, there was a current saying among the Jews, and this was the saying, may a curse come upon the man who cares for swine. All right? So understand, why is Jesus telling this parable? Remember, let's not forget this. He's telling this parable to, to, for those who were hearing him to show the love of God. It's not so much about, this, about the Son. But he's also saying this so the Pharisees can get a glimpse into the eyes of God because he's receiving criticism for hanging out with those unreputable people, the sinners and the tax collectors. Jesus is painting the worst possible picture that he possibly can. This rebellious son, 
disrespectful to his father, wild living. And now here's a man that everyone around him would look at him as being cursed because of what he's done. Someone so bad, so disreputable, so dirty, so unclean, he wouldn't even be allowed in the temple. I wonder how the father would feel about this son. I mean, the father's a Jew. If this was your son, your son's disrespected you. Your son's basically wished you were dead. He's taken the money. He's had a serious effect on your estate and your other son and your whole entire operation. He's walked away, and now his son is feeding pigs. His son, as this man, other people would look at this father and go, man, I can't believe what your son is doing. He is so disreputable. He's not even allowed in church. He's not even allowed in the temple. This is the kind of reputation that this son has. And the father now says, okay, this is my son. How heartbroken, how frustrated, how angry, how disgusted, how, 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 I can't even imagine what this father would be feeling, but this is the situation. Now I want you to imagine that you're the son. I want you to imagine that you're the son and, 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 and you were so convinced that you knew what was best for you. You were so convinced that, man, you didn't want to be where, where, where your father was. You didn't like his rules. You didn't like his authority. You didn't like anything about it. And, and his ways were so wrong. And Man, you just couldn't wait to get out from under his governance and his authority because your ways were better. You had plans, and man, your plans and your path and your road was filled with excitement and promise and all of this stuff. And now all of a sudden, your plans didn't quite go as what you'd hoped them to go. In fact, your money's gone. And you're sitting out where you shouldn't be sitting. You're a son. You're someone who once had authority. You're someone who once had respect. You're someone who once had position. And now you find yourself probably where you never thought you would ever be. You know that the job that you're in is despised. You know that those who will look at you now, if they could see you now, you're a laughingstock. You are a fool. You're unwise. And honestly, according to Jewish tradition and thought process, you are cursed. And everything about that curse would seem to be accurate, right? You have no money. It sounds like, hey, this curse is real. This curse is true. This is what's happening to me. I am here. I am so far gone. In fact, your life is so bad and you're so hungry that you're longing to eat what the pigs are eating. And that's where you are. And that's your life. And you brought it upon yourself. You know, when you're in that circumstance that that son is in, how many of you guys know you have a lot of time to think? Right? You have a lot of time to think. You have a lot of time to analyze. You have a lot of time to replay over and over and over again in your mind where you went wrong. You have a lot of time to eat those words and eat those thoughts and, and all those things that you had said and done that now are just aching in your heart as you're realizing what a fool you've been. Because this is real, guys. See, I may well be describing some of you right here in this place this morning. See, that's exactly what Jesus was doing. 
See, this is a story for the Pharisees because he wants them to understand the love of God the Father. But this is also a story for those who, who were looked upon by the Pharisees as so disreputable and so disgusting and so rejected. And so in this story, Jesus is hitting so many different aspects that he's communicating to the Pharisees that, man, he is sending a strong message to those who feel rejected by the religious to say, no, I have a place for you. And that my love has not run dry for you. And I've come for you. And here's the powerfulness in this story. And so here's the son. And he's there. And he's thinking about his life. And, and scripture says that when he came to his senses. When he began to think correctly. I can only imagine what he thought. I can only imagine that he began to think, man, listen, I don't even understand what I had. Man, I was so arrogant that I thought that somehow I could do better than my dad and better than I could take care of myself better than my father could take care of me. And you can begin to see this thought process unwind in his mind because as he starts thinking, he starts looking at his own position and saying, man, listen, I'm here feeding pigs. I'm so hungry. My stomach is aching that I want to eat the food the pigs are eating. And as he's thinking about that, remember, he's in a distant land. He begins to go, man, even, even my dad's hired help eats better than what I'm eating. You've got to think about the recognition. This man wasn't content being a son. And all of a sudden, he's realizing, man, not just the son, and not just the servant, because servants were actually viewed as almost part of the family. A hired help was more like a day servant, a di- I mean, a day hire. They could be gone tomorrow. It's not like a servant was kind of they're in, they belong, and they take care of the servant, of, of the um, slaves, rather. But the servant was hired. Like, like, his job could be done today. It's kind of day by day. And this, this son is now realizing, I'd be better off in that position under the care of my father than I am under my own care. And that's recognition where he goes, man, after the way I have treated my father, I don't deserve to even go back to him. And all of a sudden, there's this acknowledgement about this amazing care. Something that he missed before is suddenly revealed to him. This amazing care, this amazing love that God actually has, that he actually took for granted and didn't realize even existed because he was so caught up in his own selfish thought process. What was best for him, what he thought was best. And so he, in the midst of this, does something that I think most of us get stuck at if we're in this guy's position. See, most of him, what he does is he goes, man, this is what I'm going to do. I'd be better off going back to my father and saying to him, God, uh, to dad, I have sinned against heaven first and foremost. And secondly, I have sinned against you. And I do not deserve to be called your son. And I'm not asking to be brought back into that son-father-son relationship. But what I am asking is, could I be the lowest of the lowest of the lowest under your care? Because I recognize as the lowest of the lowest of the lowest under your care, man, my life is better off than being under my own care. And so he comes back, and the key to this whole thing, this whole thought process that he has in his mind is based on the repentance. That was the key where he realized my ways were wrong. 
and I sinned against heaven, and I sinned against my Father, and I want to come back. Let me pause there for a second, because honestly, I'm probably talking about some of you in here right now. The truth is, all of us have been in this position at some time in our lives, all right? None of us deserve to be called sons of God. None of us deserve to be called his children. None of us are righteous enough to be brought back into his keep. And all of us have sinned, and all of us have rebelled against him. But here's where Satan gets so many people. When you're in the, in the muck and the dirt by yourself, and you begin tur- turning, your brain begins to turn and think and turn over your rebellion and all that you've done and all how you've sinned and how you, your own thoughts and your own desires and your own actions have led you to this process, and you're a long way from where you know you should be. You're a long way from home. In your mind, you're convinced that home will never take you back. In your mind, you're convinced and you really wouldn't be far off, right? That according to Jews, you're, dis- you're a disgrace to your own family. You're a disgrace to God. You're a disgrace. And, and, and honestly, you look like a fool. And, 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 and who would even want to see you? And honestly, to get back up from where you are in the dirt and walk back towards home is a gutsy move. It's a gutsy move because you know you're walking into a place where there could be such contempt for you, such irritation, such disgust. And so many people, when they get to that place, they can't come home. They can't come home. And they can't come home because of the Pharisaical way of thinking, because the way the Pharisees think is still alive and well today in churches. Because the way the Pharisees think is still alive and well today in churches. That there are people that we go, man, because of what you do, what are you doing in here? Don't come through these doors. Like the last place you need to be is is in church. In fact, my little seat that I've paid for, it's not got your face on it. It's got someone a whole lot more reputable than you. As if, arrogantly, we could even somehow righteously, in our own righteousness, deserve God's place that he has for us. So this son gets up, and in his weakened condition, because he's weak, remember how hungry he is, it doesn't go in to say all this, but I think this is probably a safe um, assumption that we can make. He's longing to eat the food that the pigs eat. He's in a distant land. He decides, I want to go back to my father. And in that weakened condition, he gets up, and he makes what has to be a long journey. A long journey home back to his father, probably the whole time thinking, man, rehearsing what he's going to say to his dad. First and foremost, I am sorry. I've sinned against you, and I don't deserve it. And he's replaying this over and over as he's heading back home. What I love about this story is although the father isn't actively out there looking and going after him because this man left by his own free will, his father's watching for him. His father's hoping for him. His father's longing to see his son come because the scripture tells us that his father saw him while he was still a great distance away. And while he's still a great distance away, his father sees him. And his father does what is, according to scholars, undignified for an older Jewish man to do. And that is this father runs to him. 
He runs to his son, the one who has rebelled against him, the one who has basically disrespected him, the one who has basically been a thorn in his side. He runs to his son, and his son says to him right away, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. And, as, and before he can even finish everything that he's planned to say, his father says this. And he yells at his servants, go and get the best robe that we have. See, a robe back then was a status symbol. So he's taking this man that is so rejected by the Jews, so rejected by the Pharisees, so disgusted by them, and he says, don't just get him a robe. Get him the best robe. Get him a symbol of status. How can you go from feeding pigs and being so rejected to having a symbol of status? And then he says, go and put a ring. And they're, they're, they're saying that they believe it was a signet ring. It doesn't say that, but they believe it was a signet ring. Go get a, a signet ring and, and, and put it on his finger. That ring was an indication of authority. So let's give him status. Let's give him authority. And then he says this and put sandals on his feet. Do you know that slaves didn't wear sandals? Sons wore sandals. It was one of the big differences there. Sandals, sandals were worn only by sons. So when the father says, put a robe on him, put a ring on his finger, and put sandals, what he's saying to him is, give him, uh, uh, give him a status, give him authority, and also give him sonship. He is now one of my sons again. I can only imagine what that son feels like, right? After coming from pig filth and feeding pigs to all of a sudden having a robe, having authority, and his father treats him as if he never went away. They go on and they kill a fattened calf, which was reserved for special occasions when important guests were expected because the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. So what are the points that we're to take home from this? And I think this is important because really where we're going as a church, God has called us to go out here, and I believe that God is going to bring a lot of people to this church. And, and, and if we're going to be instrumental in, in, in this, and God wants to use you in this, in fact, God wants to use you. You don't do the saving. You can't. And we understand that, but he wants to use you as a tool to lead people to him. But how we see people is crucial. Because if we only minister to people that we think are respectable or like us, probably most of the people that we envisioned when I said, hey, who do you picture filling these seats? They probably look a little bit like you. I don't mean they have to be the same nationality. I just mean maybe the same circles. They work where you work. They live like you live. They have similar goals. They're just good, solid people that don't know God. Anybody picture the drug dealer down the street? Anybody picture the pimp? Not just the prostitute, but the pimp. Man, see, that's when it begins to boil in my soul. Right? I mean, that's the truth. Where I go, man, like you're hurting people. It's not like, you know, if you say, okay, the prostitute, we can say, yeah, the people get in bad situations and, 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 and our hearts can even go. But what about the person who's abusing those people where you go, no, don't come into this church? Because that's how I begin to feel. 
But what about, what about them? Who do you picture? Who's the most unreputable person? Because this is really the picture that Jesus paints. This is the picture that he paints. Two of the points, firstly, when you envisioned who would fill the seats you purchased, does your vision line up with God's? Or does it line up with the Pharisees? Do you think more like a Pharisee or do you think more like Jesus? Because in this, I love because Jesus says, no, hey, I've come not for those who are healthy, but man, I've come for those who are sick. I've come for those who need a doctor. And the key to this is repentance. So I'm talking about the repenting pimp. I'm talking about the repenting person that comes and goes, man, I've gone the wrong way. And I need God. I want to challenge you this morning. Maybe to take your preconceived ideas of who it is that God wants you to bring into this place to lead and open yourself up to be led by the Holy Spirit of who He wants you to speak to. I want to challenge you to not see things through your own eyes, but to see them through the eyes of God. To see Him through His lenses, that the people He might lead you to might be completely different than those that you envisioned in yourself. The story goes on, and I don't want to get into this because I don't really have the time, but the story goes on about the, about the, about the brother, right? We know this. The brother comes, and the brother's, man, the, the brother's actually angry, isn't he? The bro- and, uh, come on, rightfully so. Come on, most of us read the story and go, yeah, I'm with him. I mean, come on, we do. Uh, maybe that's just me. Maybe you need to hire somebody else to preach. But anyway, but... That we kind of go, man, like that's where I, I feel. I mean, this guy's been doing it all right. Where's his robe? Man, where's his fattened calf? Where's, where's his reward? Where's all of this? And the brother is honestly living life according to the law the way it's supposed to be done. Let me tell you something. There's a difference between ritual and relationship, isn't there? He's actually living as if, if we put this into spiritual terms, as if somehow that brother had earned the right to be called the son. See, the danger with thinking like a Pharisee is we begin to think that somehow we've earned this. Somehow we deserve this. Somehow we deserve the honor. We deserve the respect. We deserve to be welcomed in the temple. We deserve to be respected within church. We have earned this. Man, that's a dangerous place to be. See, the son comes out this way, and he's thinking this way, where he's a little bit frustrated, he's a little bit angry, like, hey, this isn't right, and we understand that, but we've got to be careful that we don't think like the son, we don't think like, like the Pharisees, like the older brother, that we think like Jesus. See, what the son should have been, the oldest son, he should have been excited to go, man, my brother who was lost is home. The brother that I love, the brother that I care about, even in anger, even in the frustration of what he did, it's not recognizing, or it's not condoning what he did. It's just a matter of saying, no, this is a brother of mine that was so lost. Man, that needs to be our hearts. That needs to be the way that we approach everything. We approach other people. And lastly this morning, maybe the picture that I've been describing is you. 
And maybe it's you. Maybe, maybe you are a picture of this son. You're the picture of this, of this man who's gone about his own ways and, and you've left and you rebelled against God. And maybe you're here, but maybe you're feeling, man, like if, if people only knew what I was about or the way I've lived, maybe they would reject me. Or maybe it takes so much just to come into this place because, man, you've really rebelled against God. You've disrespected him. You've gone your own way. And you too are living in this slump. And I want you to know that Jesus told this parable for you. That you would understand that yes, you've gone the wrong way. But in his forgiveness, when you come before him and you repent and you ask him to forgive you, man, he doesn't just forgive you, but he takes your sin and he throws it away from you. In fact, he doesn't, you know, sometimes our forgiveness is actually conditional, isn't it? Like someone comes and goes, hey, someone, I, 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 I really, I'm sorry, I messed up, I, I did this against you. And I go, yeah, you're forgiven, but I'm going to remember, right? And I'm going to actually make it a point to bring this up ever so slightly once in a while just to remind you of where you really are in my book. Yeah, you're forgiven, we're fine, I just haven't forgotten. And you're in probation period if you mess up again, it's over. And that's the way so many of us forgive. And it looks nothing like the way Christ forgives. Now remember, I'm talking about genuine repentance. All right? This son comes and he repents. And this father doesn't just say, you know what, okay, you can hang out with the lowest of the low and gradually, based on this, work yourself back up into sonship if we kind of see that this is going the right way. No, immediately he says, my son is home. And immediately, I put a place of honor, a place of status. Immediately, I put a ring and I give him authority. And immediately, I put sandals on his feet and I said, you belong to me. You are my son and you are my daughter. Would you stand to your feet this morning? And I want to ask the prayer team to come forward and make themselves available for prayer. But I I just want to pray this morning. I want to open these altars up to you for you to respond on on, on different, different levels here. Because there's a challenge in this for all of us. And here's the challenge. Number one, how do you see people? Are you seeing them through the eyes of Jesus? Or are you seeing them through the eyes of the Pharisees, of the eyes of the older brother? Number two, I want to challenge you on is where is your forgiveness of those who have offended you? Where is your forgiveness for those who have hurt you? For those who have disrespected you? For those who have totally rebelled against you, where do you stand? Where do they stand with you? Have you forgiven them? Have they come back to you? Do you forgive like the father or do you forgive like the older brother? And last but not least, if you are that son that walked away, you intentionally walked away, maybe you got angry at God, maybe you didn't perform the way you expected him to perform, and in your rebellion you walked away. Maybe you just thought simply that you could do things better. Maybe you didn't want to be under his authority. Maybe you didn't like church. And maybe you're there and you find yourself much like a house that's been built on sand. The rain has come and your house has collapsed. Or maybe you find yourself sitting in the most disreputable place that you could even imagine. Maybe you're not a pimp or maybe you're not that. But for you, you never thought you would end up here. And you're looking back regretfully on your life and life's decisions and saying, man, how did I get here? Let me tell you that God says when you bring that to him, 
He will restore you fully, not partially. He won't hold it over your head. He wants to restore you fully, but you need to come to him. You need to ask him to forgive you, and he wants to put a robe around your shoulders. He wants to put a ring on your fingers, and he wants to put sandals on your feet and say you are home where you belong. This morning, would you respond to him? Whatever area it is, if you need to get God to forgive you, if you want God just to, just to clear your mind and help you see things through his eyes, if you want to get forgiveness, if you want to come home. And finally, guys, let's build this church, amen? Let's go out and let's be the disciples of Christ that he has called us to be. And let's love, let's lead, let's be led by the Holy Spirit. And let's see so many who do not know Jesus Christ come into this place. Not, it doesn't matter what their occupation is. It doesn't matter how bad they've sinned. They can join the rest of us sinners who are saved by the grace and the cross of Jesus Christ. And let's be his church. Well, Jesus, we just come before you this morning. God, we're all that prodigal son. Each one of us, Lord Jesus, and for those of us who think our sin wasn't quite as bad, God, would you forgive us for our arrogance? Would you forgive us, Lord Jesus, for the sense of entitlement that we have when it comes to you, God? God, I pray in the name of Jesus for every person in this church that you would give us eyes, your eyes, to see people the way you see them. God, that, that we wouldn't see people through our own prejudices, Lord God. Through our own ideas, Lord God. We wouldn't see people through the eyes of religion or ritual, Lord God. But we would see them the way you would see them, Lord God. And God, would you lower our walls that we really can speak life into them as we lead them to you, Lord Jesus as you set them free. Lead us to those, Lord God, like this prodigal son, God. Lead us to those, Lord God, who are sitting in the dumps that are hurting, Lord God, that Satan's convinced they can't come home, Lord Jesus. And let us speak life into them, Lord God. And finally, Lord God, I pray for those in this place who feel like they are that prodigal son. I pray, Lord Jesus, that the words of the enemy would be deafened. God, I thank you, Lord Jesus, that in these parables, Lord God, you defeated all scenarios that led people away from you. And you created a way for us to come home, Lord God. I want to pray a prayer this morning. I know I prayed at communion, but I want to give you another opportunity. If you haven't accepted Christ and you can identify more with this son than you can with the father or the brother, I want to pray for you. And I just want to, I just want to ask you, that as I'm praying, you pray your own prayer. You just cry out to God, ask him to forgive you and set you free. And ask him to come into your life. And this morning, let him clothe you with a robe, with a ring, and with sandals. Lord Jesus, I come before you, and I identify with that son, God. I identify, Lord God, with his rebellion, Lord God. I've chased my own dreams, my own desires. I've, I've walked away from you, God. God, you know the cause. I was angry at you. I was upset. I thought I could do just a better life or, or I'd, I'd, I'd just be a better king of my own life than you. And, and God... This morning, I find myself in ruins, Lord Jesus. And this morning, I ask you, Lord God, would you forgive me for my sin? Would you forgive me for my arrogance? God, would you forgive me for my rebellion, Lord Jesus? I want to come home, and I want to ask you now, would you set me free, Lord God? And would you welcome me as undeservingly as I am, as a son or as a daughter, Lord God, that I may live and be with you for eternity? I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
These altars are open. Would you respond to God this morning? God.